You're listening to audio from Noest Anglican. If you'd like to find out more about us, visit noest.org. Well, hey, Norwest uh, and podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of the Norwest podcast as we seek to go deeper into things we're wrestling with on a Sunday together. And I have with me Tim Schooler, our preacher for this week. Uh, and Tim, today we've been talking about, uh, in our Thick Religion series, why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, why we do communion together. That's it. Big topic. Um, and uh, really what rich. A, I mean, it is a big topic, but what a wonderful topic as well. Absolutely. Like, I have a greater appreciation for communion and the Lord's Supper having done the work behind this. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to Good our discussion. To yeah, absolutely. So I want to take you back. Um, something we didn't quite get to dig into a little bit in sermons uh, was um, the first, when Jesus celebrates the first Lord's Supper with his disciples, it's actually right uh, at Passover um, in Jerusalem. And... What do you think, what is the kind of connection between the Passover, which Israel celebrated as they're coming out of Egypt, when God passed over his people and his remembrance of that great Exodus event, and, and Jesus celebrating the Lord's Supper with his disciples? Yeah, so uh, good, good place to start. Uh, someone that may or may not be named James Lewis just before recording gave me a really helpful line as an answer to this, James, that talked about uh, the, the first Lord's Supper as the last Passover meal. Mm. Uh, and I think that's helpful because... The, what Jesus is doing in Luke 22, uh, when he says to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, is he's showing them in that moment, it's a teaching moment to say that the Passover was looking towards me and I am the true Passover lamb. And so where you have Israel in the Old Testament and uh, there is the, the killing of the lamb and the sacrifice of the lamb, the blood goes over the doorpost of the angel of death Passover so that Israel can be uh, freed from slavery and they're, uh, they're rescued by this gracious act of deliverance by God. And then they're called to follow him and to remember this moment as part of their discipleship as God's people. Uh, so too, for us, God has acted in gracious deliverance through mm. Christ for us and we receive Good news, and we still receive that message. And then we have the meal, we have the Lord's, um, the Lord's Supper, as a way of pointing us back to what is at the heart of our salvation, Christ on the cross. Uh, but also, what Jesus does there, verse sixteen, he says, "For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God," which is a forward-looking thing, and that's saying that Christ is going to uh, return, where our salvation will be fully complete, where in the same way that Israel experienced. Um, the freedom of uh, from slavery in, in the, the promised land. Uh, we're sort of awaiting our promised land mm. and Christ is, um, he's anticipating that and we're anticipating that uh, where there'll be you know, no more Lord's suppers at that point because yeah, yeah. there'll be an even richer and sweeter communion with Christ. Amazing, isn't it? Like at that moment, which the Passover is so rich for Israel and Jesus takes that moment to say, I'm going to celebrate my last meal with you and and kind of define it as that was actually pointing towards me, my body and blood. You wonder what's going through the disciples' minds. And I'm always confu- a little bit confused because at one level he has that and they say, and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And so then they argue over who's going to betray him or who that might be. And they're kind of lost in the moment, which is encouragement that sometimes you can be like the disciples and you have no idea what's going on. But uh, by God's grace, you can 
get to understanding, right? Well, I mean, we know what the disciples are talking about because the disciples are going, oh, where are we going to get the, the preparations for the Passover? A few verses earlier. Yeah. And then in verse uh, 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was going to be considered greatest. You know, these are the things that the disciples are thinking about. How are we going to eat and who, which, who of us is the best? Mm. Whereas Jesus has this moan of intentionality where he's going, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He is just so intentional and pastoral and going, this is a really significant moment, guys, and the disciples are, you know, head in the clouds, have yeah. no idea what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, grace and mercy there that they, you know, by there God's is. grace and the power of the Spirit, they finally get it. Um, I want to throw something else at you. Uh, someone just helpfully said to me that when, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're kind of doing three things. We're looking back and remembering Jesus' death and resurrection for us. Um, we're looking forward to the, you know, he says the, the eaten again in the kingdom, that kind of great heavenly banquet, and we're looking around to the body mm. around us. And so we should almost, as we celebrate, we look back, look forward and look around. Um, do you think that's a helpful kind of way to think about communion? Yeah, I think that is. Mm. I think that's good. Uh, and something that we sought to emphasize in the sermon was the this idea that Jesus is spanning the ages, as we've just mentioned in those sort of two verses as he institutes it, uh, but also that idea of, uh, you know, this is something that we do together. It's not that something that we do as a collection of individuals. It's been given to the church mm. to, uh, to eat and drink together. Mm. And so it's, it's important uh, that it's a corporate activity and something is lost if it's... Um, you know, it's still not a nice thing to take communion to people who are you know, sick in hospital or whatever mm -hmm. when they're isolated from the body. That's a, a good thing to do, but it, there's, um, there's still something mm. missing about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so talk to me about the ways in which we can kind of um, – because, you know, there's a sense in which your faith is personal. You have a personal relationship. You need to make a response. Um, but the way in which kind of a two-personal – like you kind of riffed on that then – individual view of communion versus the corporate what's what's healthy unhealthy you know how can we lean into a more healthy kind of uh, view of communion yeah so passover might even be a helpful place to start with that i mean if it would be a really foolish thing if there was an israelite who uh, goes through the passover this is yeah, on the night where the angel of death passes over or whatever and um and goes, oh, great, the Lord's passed over me. I'm just going to go for a wander and um, sort it out mm. because Christ, because God has saved me, and so um, I'll go and swim through the, the river and escape from Egypt. Like, no, you're saved as part of a, a body and a people mm. that are going on this journey of salvation. If you go by off, off by yourself, the chances are you're going to get lost or you're going to get into trouble. You're going to come up to some situation where – you're just not equipped to do this mm. as an individual and you need the mm. benefits of the body doing it together. Mm. And so it's the same as the church is that we – it's it's true to say that, uh, you know, we're saved by um, grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, that that's uh, all that uh, is required for our salvation. Our sin is paid by Christ on the cross. But we've been saved into a body of people in the church mm. – and we're to, to love and serve one another mm. until mm. that fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And yeah. so we need one another to be uh, helping us, to be spotting blind spots that we have, who to be you know, 
helping us raise our children, helping us do whatever as we go on this journey of as Christians together. Uh, it's it just makes sense that we're going to be better equipped to to do that in a in a community where we're all in the same we're all in different spots, mm-hmm. but we're all in the same spot. Yeah, and it's it's I mean yeah, if you want to think about it like. Uh, getting to glory and being God's presence, not individual villas, you know, where you've got your own kind of quarter acre block. It's actually a whole people worshipping. And that sense of, I think there is that really, it's a bit like when we say the creeds together and we say we believe, like we talked last week, a sense of belonging to to look around and say here's a bunch of other people uh, who also share in the experience of Jesus, who have been saved by his death and resurrection. I'm not alone in this world, but we we share and we're all part of this story together. And so the individual kind of communion experience would be uh, to rob yourself of that rich reality, that kind of thick religion, as we've said. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. Very helpful. Um, Let's chat a little bit about uh, one of the things you picked up in the sermon uh, was in Acts chapter 2, what the early church was doing and um, and it's not entirely clear because there's little illusions, you know, they ate together daily and they um, committed themselves to the breaking of bread. And there's a bit of debate about whether that's referring to the Lord's Supper or whether they're having meals together. Um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, well, let's start there. I, <clears throat> so I pointed out in the sermon that Luke is the one who wrote Luke's Gospel and Luke is the one who wrote Acts and he's very explicit in the Gospel about Jesus broke bread mm. and when it's, it talks about the the apostles uh, devoting themselves to things. Well, what are they devoting themselves to? Acts 2.42, the apostles' teaching. So that's something that has been given to them uh, to fellowship, this idea of the, you know, the one of the commands that, John, that Jesus has given his disciples, uh, to the breaking of bread. Again, that's been given to them. And to prayer, that's been given to them. This is then how you should mm. pray. And so they are, they're not just all of a sudden making up the idea of, well, let's have meals together. Mm. They are performing in the in a very natural way, the things that they've been encouraged to do, which they have been you know, commanded to do by Jesus, and they devote themselves to these things. So I think it is a it's a formal uh, Lord's Supper meal which is being referred to there with the breaking of bread, and I think Luke uses that language so to pick that up. So then it's not like they're having a meal together, like you know you have people around for dinner at your place, and you go, okay, well let's let's remember the Lord's death. That's the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's actually a specific kind of focus, uh, whether they had a liturgy or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's right. Like mm. what the liturgy was, the, you know, they didn't speak English, so they weren't saying, Fudder and our hearts <laughs> by faith with thanksgiving. Uh, but it, it's something that they're doing as a church because it follows on from verse 40 and 41. Uh, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number daily. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so it's the church that is doing this. Uh, and so whether it is that, and I think it probably is the case that, you know, 3,000 of them are, you know, trying to work out, you know, in yeah. some sense we're sharing something. Yeah. Uh, exactly how that worked, I don't know. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's simply that a few particularly generous Christians were just having meals in their homes. I think there's something that they're doing together because they feel the importance of doing it yeah. together. Yeah. Okay, so just a little bit more on that. The, the value of having a very kind of structured liturgy, like maybe the old prayer book would have had for, for communion versus maybe having a meal together, um, which may which would then have some kind of liturgy, some, you know, rememberings and prayers wrapped around it. Um, kind of where, where do you think of the, 
the benefits of those? Like where, where would you kind of sit on that spectrum? Well, James, in the language of an old, old El Paso commercial, por qué no los dos? Why not have both? The, <laughs> yes. uh, so Chapel Lane uh, tonight, so we're recording this Sunday afternoon. For Chapel Lane tonight, we're having a Chapel Lane dinner. So we thought, well, why don't we incorporate communion into that? Mm. And we've been thoughtful about that. We want to start the meal together as the formal communion um, time so that if there are people who are unbelievers there or people who want to um, you know, sit out of communion, they'll have an opportunity to sit out but still take part in you know, the mm. rest of the meal. Um, but I think that's a very appropriate thing mm. to do. Uh, but I don't think we lose anything by it being um, small squares of bread. Mm. Um, it's just because we're not, you know, we don't feed on Christ in our stomachs by our teeth. We feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. Mm. And mm. so it's a meal that is there to point us towards the gospel and to, to apply the gospel to us individually. Um, I've got these... Uh, uh, this is from the Heidelberg Catechism. Yep. So um, just just reminders for those who are kind of not up on that, what is the Heidelberg Catechism? Heidelberg Catechism. So a catechism is a series of questions and answers that the church have used historically to teach right doctrine and especially teach that doctrine to kids mm. but also to, to all ages. Uh, and question 79 from the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm uh, sorry, it's framed up during the Reformation, right? It's a kind of, well, just after... Yeah, Heidelberg, Heidelberg's post-Reformation, yeah. I think, maybe 17th century. Yeah, right. Um, but your catechisms were brought about at you know, all times yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. in the history of the mm. church. Uh, it's a particular – I like the Heidelberg catechism because that, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of heart language in there. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's a very beautiful catechism in that sense. Um, and so question 79, why do, then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood? And Paul used the words as sharing in Christ's body and blood. And there's a long answer, but part of it is to say that uh, he wants to assure us, this is Christ, wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance. And so... As we have the meal, whether it is a small square of bread hmm. or it is a big chunk of lamb, yep. as surely as we taste these, this food and we swallow and we know that we're digesting it, so surely has Christ died for us. That's the, the beauty of communion. That's hmm. why there's... Um, so how's the, how's the surely happen? Because it's not, as you said in the sermon, it's not the kind of uh, special prayer that turns the lamb into the body of Christ. Yeah. What's the, the surely that kind of spiritual feeding? What, what is that? How does that happen? So this is why there's the warning against taking it improperly or unworthily mm. because the assumption is that Christ is, you know, so the, the assumption is that it's a meal that is um, spiritually beneficial for everyone, everyone who partakes of it, benefits from having Christ uh, you know, spiritually present. They're reflecting on the gospel, applying the promises of the gospel to their lives and all of that. And it seems like there is in some way a uh, particular presence of Christ in that communion that's hard to fully wrap our heads mm. around or, or articulate. Um, but that's why there's the warning because it will, if you do so unworthily, if you, if you are flippant in the way that you take the Lord's Supper – well, it's not going to be spiritual blessing. It's going to be judgment that comes your way mm. uh, because you are breaking apart the unity of the body in that moment because there's divisions there or because you're um, 
yeah, you're seeking to apply this thing to yourself when you're improperly taking it. Yeah. So, so that's why there's this posture of examine yourselves and discern the body of Christ and then that gives way to the, the serious joy and thanksgiving as yeah. we ta- pay, take part in the, the meal yep. together. Yeah, so it's not the mere ceremony, it's the, the by faith feed on in your heart. That's right. Yeah. and in, when in, the you, same, in the same way that when we talked about baptism two weeks ago, mm. we were talking about it's a sign that points to the ultimate reality. And so the meal is a sign that points us to Christ and the beauty of the gospel and the way that our salvation is guaranteed in it. But it's still a sign. It's mm. still a thing. Mm. Uh, we do things that do things. It yeah. has an impact on us. I wonder whether it's helpful. Well, I think it is. I'm, so, so I will ask the question. Uh, um, when we talk about spiritual presence, like I think what we forget is that we've been so influenced by kind of Greek philosophy, this sort of separation of the body and the spirit as two kind of different things. And sometimes when we say spiritual, we think we're sort of like this sort of it's in, in our hearts or sort of type elements, sort of that kind of, um, you know, non-tangible kind of non, non-physical kind of experience. Um, what do we mean when we say spiritual presence? Um, we're not we're not kind of going down that divide of body and and spirit. Um, but what what does it mean? Do you think? Yeah. So Christ right now is seated in the heavenly realms. Yeah. And that is a certain guarantee. And we are seated around Christ in the heavenly realms. Mm. Uh, and so that is a spiritual reality. Yeah. Right now, that doesn't end us up in the land of you know cream cheese and white fluffy clouds mm. but it's saying there is a spiritual realm and you're not divided when you're doing that like no. it's not that there's a tim who's sitting in this chair and there's a, there's a tim separated like a part of you separated off in yeah. the cloud somewhere in yeah. the heavenly realms that's, yeah. that's right yeah uh, and so living as we do now is seeking to uh Honor, I suppose. I can probably think of it. There's probably better words for it, but sort of honoring that spiritual reality mm. and living in consistently, living consistently with that spiritual reality. Yeah. Which is to say, I do honor Christ. I do love Christ. I worship Christ. Uh, and communion and the, yeah, the life of church together is, um, is just reminding us of that mm. spiritual reality. Mm. I remember um, Martin Lloyd Jones, the, great preacher in his commentary on Ephesians talking about, you know, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in chapter one, verse three. And he was talking about, that's actually kind of like you're standing on the viewing platform, looking at yourself and the world through God's eyes. Mm. And when we speak about spiritual reality, we're saying this is the, the kind of ultimate word and status over everything. So whatever you think you are or you struggle with, this is the this is kind of the ultimate reality that you belong to Christ and secure in him and you're seated with him yeah. and Christ is present yeah. and he's with us and, and so on. When yeah. we said, and yeah. we're part of his bride that we are united to through you know, this, um, this beautiful marriage and mm. there's all of these images, you know, the priesthood of mm. believers and they're, they're all trying to impress upon us the completeness of the salvation mm. that has been offered. So I wonder where, you know, when we say we proclaim this, uh, in the little stuff, we proclaim this until you know Jesus' victory proclaim until he the comes. Lord's death until he comes. Yeah. So we're actually saying this: we're proclaiming the ultimate reality in the universe is that yeah. Jesus is Lord and He's with us. Yeah. As we celebrate Lord's Supper, and it's interesting to think, who are we proclaiming that to? Mm. In a sense, we're proclaiming it to ourselves, to each other as to a body, each other, the yep. body of Christ. Mm. 
in a sense, we're proclaiming it to any unbelievers who might be in our midst. But also, when you look at Paul's letters, you know, we're, we're proclaiming it to the powers and authorities. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're, we're proclaiming it to the, the spiritual forces yeah. of this world, and we're saying Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. He is our victor. Mm. He is mm. victorious. He has saved us, and no power of darkness can overtake us. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that's a, a, a great word against um, being flippant yeah. in Lord's Supper or being so kind of locked into the way you did it that you're not thoughtful, mm. um, which is the kind of two ways we end, isn't it? You've got the kind of flippancy, oh, you know, it's not really, we're, we're, we're low church, we just kind of go easy, yeah. and then there's a the very traditional where we have to do it the same way every time and we just go through the kind of steps, um, being really thoughtful so that we can, with our full hearts, proclaim the Lord's death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe to finish off, a kind of pastoral word to those for whom um, maybe that maybe they um, they come into church and they're aware of um, great uh, guilt or shame and you know their own brokenness and they they find the Lord's Supper difficult or or they're um, they've experienced great pain in church you know they've maybe been in a bad church or someone in a church and so that they're kind of yeah we're together communion's great unifying thing and yet they find that hard how would how would you kind of if you had 10 minutes, maybe five minutes to sit down with them, what would you want to kind of walk through? So I think there's a couple of different categories of people that come to mind when you ask that question. The first category uh, is for people who perhaps with a tender conscience are nervous about taking communion because there's longstanding uh, relationship issues with even with other Christians mm. that, haven't been able to be reconciled and, and it looks like you know, there won't mm. be any reconciliation. You know, what, do, what do you do there? Mm. Um, and I think to those people I want to say we're, we're, required, we're, we're commanded by Christ to, to do what we're able to do in that sense. And forgiveness, repentance and reconciliation are different categories of things in our relationships. And we can't make sure that we're going to end up in reconciliation. And we don't have to end up being reconciled with every person before we can take communion. Mm. We need to do what we can. And so if there is longstanding uh, relationship challenges with an individual and you've done your best to work through that but there's not reconciliation, I think in a clear conscience you can take communion. Mm. There's, there's no reason to uh, abstain from that mm. for the rest of your life because someone's unwilling to mm. repent or forgive. The other category of people are those who, uh, like you said, have been sort of burnt by their experiences or feel jaded with church perhaps or there's a, you know, there's a wariness about Christian community, uh, all of which might be understandable and warranted. And to those people I would say don't give up mm. on the hope that you might experience a beautiful church family again. Mm, mm. There are horrific abuses that have gone on in the church and there are people who have been so hurt by wicked people. Mm. But the body of Christ is a beautiful thing mm. and it is a community of redemption and it's a community of restoration and it's a community of love and grace and service and sacrifice. And so perhaps the first thing to aim at might be to want to be part of a community like that, to work mm. through the the pain and the hesitancies and the cynicism and the scepticism and to say, wouldn't it be nice if that were possible? Mm, mm. 
And once you're at that moment to say, wouldn't it be nice if it were possible, then you could start to cons- mm. consider it actually is possible for many people. Mm. Maybe we could get back there. Yeah, and yeah. You could go deeper into community, you know, take the vulnerable step of joining a community group or meeting up with someone mm. to pray outside of it or, you know, step into Christian community and you're, God willing, mm. uh, our hope would be that you'll start to experience mm. that that richness mm. of yeah, church yeah. life. Yeah, that's very helpful. I mean, I think um, you say that you know the communion is a pro- proclamation of the good news about Jesus, and so that overrides like um, you you are you are welcome and you belong because God has made it. So uh, whatever else anyone might say have done, that you, you have a, a welcome in the Father, and, and Jesus died for you, and so this this is for you. Um, yeah. Yeah, great way to finish um, finish out this series. It's been a fantastic series, uh, Thick Religion. Next week we're kicking off a new series, uh, You Are Not Your Own, and we're wrestling with how freedom is actually found in not pursuing kind of our own self but actually discovering that our freedom is real found in belonging to God. So looking forward to that real cultural analysis series. Um, yeah, fantastic. And, and God bless Tim and Lauren as you head off on a fact-finding trip and holiday to Scotland. Yeah, that's be it. Away from us. As, uh, as this podcast drops, we'll probably still be on a plane. So pray for us with a 16-month-old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fantastic. All right, Norwest and podcast listeners, uh, make sure you subscribe on the, the podcast catcher of your choice uh, so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. See you later. Thank you for listening. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to connect with us at norwest.org.